the title I've given the message this morning is Looking for a Hammer. For real, that's the title of the message. Looking for a hammer, but finding, finding a shepherd whose name is Jesus. So, uh, John 10, I want to I begin at verse 22. Jesus is given the parable of the good shepherd. It says, I'm that good shepherd. And then he goes back into Jerusalem. At that time, verse 22, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. Now, I want you to notice what John is pointing out, where he is. He's in the, in, in the portico of the, the, the porch of, of the Solomon's uh, porch. There's a part of the temple. That part that wasn't destroyed um, during the last time that the temple had been, had been uh, destroyed. The Jews gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ or Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I told you. And you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they testify me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. There's pretty candid blunt, isn't it? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Amen. Two hundred years before Jesus is born, uh, specifically, it's 167 B.C. Israel is under the control of what is called the Seleucid Empire. And it is an empire that covers Turkey and most of Greece. The king of that empire, his name was Antiochus, Antiochus, boy, Antiochus IV. He comes into power in 175. And he chose a name for himself. He said, I'm, I, I'll be called Antiochus Epiphanes, which means God manifest. That gives you an idea of what he thought of himself, right? He had a low opinion of himself. I'm just kidding, okay? So Antiochus Epiphanes immediately begins to express his opinion about how he feels about the Jewish people, specifically because these are a people who are worshiping a, a, a God that is not recognizing him as God. And in fact, it, it, it irritates him so much that he begins to target their practices of worship, their observance of law, um, the Sabbath that they're keeping, he orders almost immediately the worship of the Greek god Zeus. Uh, he builds a, a, if you will, an alternate tabernacle right outside the temple. It's a gymnasium, uh, a Greek, what's called a Greek gymnasium. But there, he, he's trying to elevate the worship that he believed was important to the to the god of Zeus. So ultimately, they continue in their practice of worship. So. 
He says, well, that's not good enough. I provided you a good alternative, so let me give you something else here. Um, I, what, he, he comes in and he plunders the, the temple, and then he comes and he not only vandalizes the temple, but he comes and he brings pigs and he offers them as worship to Zeus on the altar of the temple. He outlaws Judaism. He outlaws all of the practices of Judaism, including the Sabbath. And he sets up altars to Greek gods all throughout every town. And he puts to death anyone who refuses to pray to the gods that he's put up. It is not a good time. Uh, in Israel, it's the worst kind of degradation they could have ever experienced because, of course, the temple is the central piece, not just of worship, but it represents the habitation place of God in their midst. And so, honestly, here they are, again, a couple hundred years before Jesus it puts his foot on planet Earth, and their longing is for a Messiah. Who's going to rescue them from such a fate that they're in? Enter a man named Judas Maccabees. Now, we read about Judas Maccabees in what we call the apocryphal books. Now, those are a set of books that, if you want to know actually the frank history of them, about 500 years ago, many of them were tossed out by the Reformers. But you need to know that most of them existed in Jesus' day. In fact, they were considered a part of Scripture that were read, so it could be argued. And in fact, several of the, of the phrases that Jesus even refers to in his teaching come from apocryphal books that Jesus considered them as sacred. And so we have this man who's the, the story that's recorded in these apocryphal books in the first and second Maccabees. His name is Judas Maccabees. Now, he had gained a, a nickname for himself called the Hammer. And historians believe that he got that nickname because of his ferocity in battle, because he raised up, he raises up an army and he leads a revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes and, and defeats him and drives him out of Jerusalem in 164. The temple is rededicated. So there's great respect toward Judas Maccabees. He's considered as a, a reformer, a restorer. And so on this day, uh, to, in, in fact, I would say to this day, the restoration and the rededication of the temple is still celebrated every year by Jewish people all over the world in a festival that you might have heard of called Hanukkah. You ever heard of that? Right? And so one of those festivals, one of the things that happens, one of the miracles that occurred during the miracle of Hanukkah was the miracle of the Hanukkah lights, in which they didn't have enough oil to burn these lights in, in the rededication of the temple, but there was a miracle that took place, and these lights burned for seven days. And, and this is called the miracle of the Hanukkah lights. And by the way, interestingly, a couple chapters before, you find Jesus getting up while they're lighting these lamps and remembering the miracle. Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is clearly identifying not only with the story of God's deliverance among his people, but identifying himself as that person of deliverance in their lives, right? So this is the context. So John has Jesus now in Jerusalem at both the celebration and the location, the temple. 
that's being, you know, that, that had been rededicated. And so here he is at the festival of dedication in Jerusalem at winter, walking in the porch of Solomon that hadn't been torn down, that identifies with that, that's the temple that got messed up but was rededicated. That's where he is. And now we have a group of Jewish leaders that come and approach him. And, and they're at the very place that symbolizes the rescue of Israel from their oppressors and the temple that had been rededicated. On the very date that they're remembering it and they're commemorating it and they're having this feast of dedication. And, and then they approach Jesus and say, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? Tell us plainly. Jesus, are you the hammer? And by the way, he answers and he said, I told you. Beloved, to a people that were looking for a lion, God comes as a lamb. Not bearing a hammer, but coming as a shepherd. He's actually going to be hammered to a tree to give life, secure life. And for those who will hear and those who will see, it remains good news. Amen? See, what will it look like? See, this, this is the point of this message this morning. What does it look like when God, quote, shows up in their imagination? Ah, oh, deliverance, the best picture in my mind, the best story I ever heard was that day when the hammer came and drove out the Seleucid Empire and we rededicated our temple. What does it look like when God shows up in the face of corrupt and injustice that's, that's haunting a generation? Those who are bearing the weight of injustice. Oh, it must look like that. No wonder Matthew records this in Matthew 12, quoting Isaiah 42. He said, my servant, Jesus identifies John 10 as the shepherd, not the hammer. Matthew says, my servant, whom I have well chosen, this is the one I love, the one in whom I delight, he will not fight or shout or talk loudly in the streets. He'll not crush a reed under his feet. He'll lead justice and righteousness to final victory, and all the world will find hope in his name. Beloved, this is good news, and it remains good news today to a people who are looking for a lion or a hammer. Jesus, the lamb, the shepherd, comes to reveal justice, hope. He reveals heaven to the human heart. Jesus, who's going to rise up and get Rome out of here? That's what they're asking. How long are you going to keep us in suspense? Now, this is the fascinating part of this exchange, is that Jesus said, I've already told you. Now, again, they're, in their mind, it's going to take another hammer to smash Rome, that political machine. And Jesus said, no, I, I've already spoken. You're not listening. 
the miracles, the message has been clear. The works that I do in my Father's name, they testify to me. Now that deserves a pause because they're asking Jesus to speak. And he said, I've already spoken. The problem is you're not listening. I I was reading this passage and it struck me that we have men and women. Now think about this. They're in the temple. Their lives are dedicated to what we would call classically, quote, the word of God or the law of God. These are religious leaders, well acquainted with the law of God, listen to this, but did not recognize the word of God. Do you see the difference? Jesus said, I've already spoken. What what, what, what did you say, Jesus? I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember. When did you talk about when did you talk about the Roman Emperor? When, when, did you, when did you talk about how those centurions dealt with us and how harsh they were, demanding? I'm trying to remember. Well, let's see. He's been traveling around the countryside healing sick people. And for heaven's sake, we're waiting for him to come and get this political thing going, but we find him standing beside a well talking to people he shouldn't be talking to. And he's, and he's decided rather than, you know, giving in to the demand of other people, he, he did that annoying thing where he went and had lunch with the sinners and the marginalized and the despised, the forgotten, the excluded. He keeps making time for them. The littlest ones. Uh, Jesus, I'm sure we're going to get to this revolution thing. I'm looking for it. He's leading it. In love. Radically loving the least and the last and the lost. Jesus, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? We need bold letters. These are the works that my Father's given me. They testify. In other words, he's been been doing them. The point is, he's not the kind of Messiah they thought he would be. So that's, that's the rub as I think about this. It's easy for me to look back and to see this historical context, right? Okay, their mind's imagination. They want a hammer. They want Judas Maccabees to rise up, drive out the Romans, usher in a new age of power and peace and prosperity. And, by the way, the only way that they can imagine that ever happening is in the same way that the hammer did it. You drive out evil violence with righteous violence and power. We need a new Jewish champion. Jesus comes in compassion and love 
forgiveness, mercy, and grace, what good is that against a brutal enemy like Rome? There is where it begins. If you begin to actually unpack that, that's where it begins to expose, well, wait a minute. They didn't understand it. Well, wait a second. If I begin to get honest about it, what does that say about my expectations? See, it spoke to their lack of revelation about what the nature of the kingdom of God actually looks like. So it begins, here's, the, here's where the haunting question starts to begin to, to touch me. As I begin to pray, as I begin to feel something rise up in me, and I socially am offended at what's occurring, and I want to say, that's got to end. What kingdom am I really, really passionate about? By the way, when Jesus says this, they didn't like his answer. You might want to notice that the very next verse, they picked up stones to kill him. Being a Messiah is a dangerous kind of thing, especially if you're the wrong kind. So Jesus disappoints most of his contemporaries because he didn't meet the definition of what they thought a Messiah should look like. So the question for us is, what kind of Messiah am I looking for? Is it possible for me to be acquainted with the law and miss the word? And Jesus said kind of plainly, you know, you're not my sheep because you don't even understand what the nature of my kingdom looks like. Now, this is where the challenge comes for me. Beloved, I was praying this week, earlier in this week, and I, almost every day I, I pray through the Beatitudes. And so on this particular day I was reading, I, I've been reading through a book called Following the Call, Living the Sermon on the Mount Together. It's just, I, I, I want to just, this is, I want to spend time in, in meditating on what Jesus talks about, what the, the kingdom actually looks like. So it's a collection of writings by several different authors, but in this particular portion of the reading, this is, I believe, it was either Tuesday or Wednesday I was reading this, and, and the author said, if we want to take Jesus and his words seriously, we actually have to first confess our preference for the false teachings of the culture that we live in. A culture that's bent in a certain way. See, it's easier for me to look back and say, hey, you Jewish people, you were just looking for a military leader. It's a little harder when I begin to go, wait a minute, what is it that I actually like? And so this author is writing, and they said, he's, I, I call these, this is the author, and I'm quoting him, I call these false spiritual teachings the anti-beatitudes, the anti-Sermon on the Mount. So he goes through the Sermon on, or through the Beatitudes. Are you ready for this? It's hard. See, many of us are familiar with this, you know, the, the Beatitudes as they're recorded by uh, Matthew. says, blessed are the poor in spirit. But Luke records, blessed are the poor. That's the opening volley. Boom. Here's the anti-beatitude. Blessed are the rich. Oh, wait. Yeah, that's really, that's really what we believe in our culture. What are the billionaires saying? How come they get the press? I'm not trying to, don't, don't, hear, don't hear me. Um, 
bemean or uh, belittling somebody's wealth, what I'm wanting us to notice is what is it that we're no what, what what am I noticing? What captures my attention? Blessed are those who never mourn. We don't like mourning at all. We even have Christianese to push it to the side. Too blessed to be stressed. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. There's, there's, some, there's some things that are worth mourning. Blessed are the violent, the oppressors, those who dominate others and run domination systems. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for injustice. Blessed are those who have, excuse me, who show no mercy. Ah, that's not me. But it seems to be a theme that shows up in movies a lot. That sell a lot of tickets. Blessed are the impure of heart. Blessed are the war makers. Blessed are those who are never persecuted, who never struggle for justice, who never rock the boat on behalf of the poor and the disenfranchised, who are never insulted because of their allegiance to a nonviolent Jesus. And I was reading this and went, ugh. Lord, I live in a culture defined by another logic than the logic of heaven. I need you to teach me love again today. Okay? So here's where this connects for me. As, as I think about, even as I'm praying, Lord, when I'm praying for a Messiah, Jesus, would you come? Uh, what expectations do I load into that? Do I expect him to agree with what I think it should look like? That he should always like what I like or be offended at things I get offended at? See, what we're hearing actually gives us an idea of who, what we're following. This, that's the point I'm trying to get at. We have all kinds of Christian labels for following a hammer. Rather than a shepherd, servant. We can justify it. And then watch. Let me, let me just make myself even more uncomfortable, but be honest. Then all of a sudden doctrine can become this means to give validity to my attitudes of exclusion rather than a path towards God. So Scripture becomes a weapon rather than a revelation of God. It pains me that this has happened in, I mean, when my kids sit and talk to me about this, how some of these things literally happened. Oh, no. Neighbors become enemies to be feared or dismissed instead of enemies becoming neighbors through love. Life becomes ritualistic rather than sacramental. 
It's all about the transaction. So, Jesus says, uh, I spoke, I, I said this, and you didn't hear me, because if you were my sheep, here's what it would look like. You would hear and follow. You would hear that I've actually been saying things, and you'd begin to follow me towards them. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. When we listen to Jesus' voice, what do we hear him say? Well, he, he isn't destroying his enemies. He's loving them, and he's saying, pray for them. He said, uh, when someone asks you for your coat, offer them your tunic. When you're tempted to point the accusing finger, come in forgiveness and grace. Uh, when you want to cast out the sinful person, search your own heart. I mean, there's, it's all there, right, in the Gospels? When we read. So when we listen for Jesus' voice, this is what we hear him say. And so if I'm hearing a voice of judgment and condemnation and exclusion, I probably need to reexamine that voice because it's not the voice of Jesus. And by the way, let's just get really, really clear. If we hear his voice, you're inviting me to love, to lay my, down my life like you did, self-giving, self-sacrificial love and forgiveness. Oh, yes, Lord. Where are we going? To a cross. That place of ultimate humiliation and what looked like ultimate defeat. And, and let, me, let me state this. I was reading this um, N.T. Wright, great theologian that I, I deeply, deeply respect. And uh, I'm not sure which book this comes from. It might have been from the day the revolution began. Uh, but his, this, let, me, let me go ahead and give this quote to you. The crucifixion of Jesus understood from the point of any onlooker, whether sympathetic or not, was bound to have appeared as a complete destruction of any messianic pretensions or possibilities that his followers may have had. The violent execution of a prophet still more of a would-be Messiah, did not say to any Jewish onlooker that he really was Messiah after all and that his kingdom had come through his work. It said powerfully and irresistibly that it wasn't and that it hadn't. Please hear this. The cross was not a symbol of victory. It was a symbol of defeat. Self-giving, self-sacrificial love, and yet Jesus overcomes death by death, right? That's why we say it is the ultimate victory. So, Jesus, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. I want to begin to follow what you're inviting me towards. Where are we headed? We're going to a cross, other-centered love, even at the cost of our own life. That's what it means to follow you. And, and Jesus said, if you hear my voice and then you follow me, where, where am I following you? How am I following you? To a cross. And what, is, what does that begin to look like? It begins to look like the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. Those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for justice, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted because of justice. Listen for Jesus' words. Love your neighbor. 
and your enemy. Don't worry about your life. Turn the cheek. Don't judge. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Take up your cross. Show mercy. Forgive 70 times 7. Wash each other's feet. Follow me. Then watch how Jesus ends that phrase. These become the unsnatchable people of God in my Father's hand. To a people looking for a lion, God comes as a lamb. Not bearing a hammer, but actually being hammered to a tree. To give life, to secure life. And for those who will hear and receive, it remains, beloved, absolutely good news. You know, the prayer of the week this week, out of the common book of prayer this week is this. I want to pray this, and I'm going to invite us to, to, we're going to have another closing prayer here in just a moment. But I want you to hear this prayer. I read this early this morning. Listen to this. Oh God, whose son Jesus is the good shepherd of your people. Lord, when I want to. I want a hammer. You've come as a shepherd. Grant that we would hear your voice, that we would know him who calls us each by name, and follow where he leads. With you in the Holy Spirit who lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I want to invite you, if you would, to stand with me, and I want to close it with this prayer together, and then bring us to the table. Would you guys pray this prayer with me? Let's pray this together. God of comfort and compassion, through Jesus, your Son, you lead us to the water of life and the table of your bounty. May we who have received the tender love of our Good Shepherd be strengthened by your grace to care for your flock. Amen and amen.